0: Mm. i'm not fully either one Mm -hmm. so it's hard to completely fit in either society and i think i struggled with this actually trying to find a place in the midst of both hi everyone and welcome to deeper a podcast where we try to encourage more in the thinking And talk about some of the issues and questions in life and the society around us. We are two friends. My name
1: is Nadira. And I'm Jessica. And we made this podcast to share with you our opinions on these matters and to encourage you guys to do the same with us as well. And without further ado, let's dive right into today's topic. So, today we have a very interesting. Topic because we experienced it firsthand, and we both realized that in this unprecedented times, some people, either students, families, working adults, they are forced to return to their home countries due to many reasons, and one of it could be COVID-19.
0: So we are talking about culture shock and reverse culture shock from our experiences and also some things that we've read about recently. And I completely agree with what Jess said about uh, people having to suddenly move back to their home countries, maybe. But also out of this context of you know, the current lockdown and the restrictions, I guess it's also applicable to children or other people who may have to continually move countries from their home country because of their parents' jobs, for example, or for uh, any other reasons. And yeah, we, like as just said, we both experienced this culture shock and also reverse culture shock. But I guess, as just suggested before to me, uh, before we get into our stories and thoughts and opinions, I think we can just give a bit of background behind what culture shock and reverse culture shock is because maybe not all of us um, kind of know what it is. So to start with, I think I can read out a definition from a long ago about culture shock and is formally defined as the process of initial adjustment to an unfamiliar environment. Of course, it's it's a bit intuitive, I guess, because, you know, when you're in a new country that is different to your home country, it's, of course, it's going to be strange to you and So that shock you're feeling is is what is defined as a culture shock and on the other hand reverse culture shock is the opposite instead you're feeling unfamiliar to the society of what is essentially your home country because you've lived abroad for so long and you've been so accustomed to uh, the setting in that foreign country so yeah this is just a a short background on culture shock and reverse culture shock, and when I was actually trying to understand more about it, I came across this academic research, and I guess just have um, just has uh, kind of skimmed through this as well, but mm-hmm. it was um, a research in two thousand and sixteen on culture shock and reverse culture shock, so both ways, in international students. And it was carried out in a sample of uh, international students in Australia. And basically the study, this research just just studies the the role of culture intelligence on culture and reverse culture shock in international students. Um, It's a long study, but the main conclusion that I can get from it is that cultural intelligence and awareness is very important. In the context of the study, they concluded that it's very important for universities or workplaces to provide some sort of information or information session or support for international workers or people or students because culture shock can negatively affect their behavior and cognitive processes and as a result it can affect the affected effectiveness of our work and our well-being and basically our daily functioning mm. and then, yeah and I think Jess and I can relate to that later on mm-hmm. but yeah similarly um, for international students going back to their home countries so this is in the context of reverse culture shock now it's also important for them to be well informed about the changes that may have taken place since the last time they visited their home countries. Well, yeah, as the as the study highlighted, a limitation of this concept, though, is that, of course, it's kind of hard to measure these things or carry out these um, suggestions. But the study just shows how important our awareness is of different cultures in uh, mitigating our culture or reverse culture shock.
1: That is so true. Wow.
0: But yeah, of course, you know, as with many other things, it's not something that immediately happens, I guess, right? Culture shock or reverse culture shock is a process as well. And it's not an immediate thing that affects your daily functioning. Mm-hmm. And I, came, I also came across this yeah, theory, you, you can say, Back from 1955 about um, the culture shock U curve. It's termed as basically it's just yes, it's a concept by Listgard and it shows that culture shock follows a kind of a U curve pattern or maybe it can it's it can be a W depending on how 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 many dips you have along the culture shock or reverse culture shock that you may have. So basically, in a short form when we arrive in a foreign country, whether foreign here means our literally foreign country or your home country that you've, be, you've lived out for so long from, people tend to experience a quote unquote honeymoon period where the new environment and culture is new and very exciting to to them. Soon after, however, as we realize and internalize the differences we fall into the pit of culture shock or reverse culture shock. And that's the bottom part of it. But gradually though, as we adapt to this new setting and accept the differences, we become emotionally and psychologically stable again. And I guess this may not be applicable to everyone, but I personally can testify to this. And I guess some others around me as well, like Jess, for mm-hmm. example, and some of our other friends for some this experience this experience can last for weeks, but some for some others, this can last for longer months or maybe a year, depending on you know how how shocked you are mm. to this new culture so yeah, that's just basically <laughs> that's just basically in short what the culture shock you curve is
1: I think it's kinda of relevant to us because. You guys have might not known, or might have not known. I moved back to Indonesia a year ago after spending almost five years abroad—one four years in Malaysia and one year in the UK—and Nadira, who's lived out of Indonesia for most of her life. How long were you in Qatar again? I was in Qatar from 2005
0: until 2017, so I was there for 12 years, which is. Half of basically life. more than half of my life i yeah. guess wow. and then yeah and then and then as you know like i moved to malaysia as well for my university and then i moved also to the uk but yeah you know this is a very interesting question that i want to ask you just not always but like you sometimes you point out, point this out the fact that you sometimes you feel a kind of reverse culture shock when you go back to indonesia you know despite the fact that you've only been out of Indonesia for 5 years I guess right mm, that's true but even though even though you left live, you've lived in Indonesia for most of your life mm-hmm. you still felt that reverse culture culture shock like what what was the one or two things maybe that made you feel that way
1: when i first came back home well i mean in malaysia we i mostly speak in english and i only speak to bahasa to my indonesian friends apart from them I, I speak in English and when I first came back home I <laughs> you know when you have not used a language for so long, it became rusty. Mm-hmm. And I know I know as as strange as it sounds, Bahasa is my mother tongue. But imagine not using it for for quite a quite a imagine only using it for a bit throughout the years. And when you came back home you have to speak Bahasa twenty four seven again. What happened was I direct translate every English words to Bahasa, <laughs> and my Bahasa my Bahasa was very rigid <laughs> when I first came back, and I couldn't finish a sentence without adding English words inside.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, some of my friends they still think ah, if you mix English and Bahasa you're a bit quote unquote snobbish. Mm. Honestly, I used to think that way, and here I am becoming that kind of person. <laughs> yeah. And but there was this one instance that really stood out. So I was talking to my mom about something about oh maybe we maybe we should do this. I think it's better if we do this. In my head, I was thinking in English. It doesn't sound it didn't sound rude at all. Mm. It was like okay, I think this is good. We should do this and this and this. But but maybe when I direct translate it to Bahasa, it sound, it came across as very direct and straightforward. Mm. And my uh, obviously my mom my mom my mom didn't took it didn't take it really well. And I didn't know like why why was she angry? Why was she so angry to me? What did I do wrong? But then I was pointed out by one of my mom's employees that actually you were being too direct to your mom. You were being too straightforward. <laughs> you should frame your words. Wouldn't it be better if we do this instead of this? Wouldn't it be better if we do X instead of Y? And I'm like, ah, ah, maybe that's why she was, she was not angry. She was a bit pissed. And, you know, you can't direct translate every word from English to Bahasa or vice versa. And I personally think English is very individualistic language. You have a lot of I, my mind.
0: And it's a very, oh, right.
1: it's a very direct. I mean, it's a very straightforward language, language it, it, compared to Bahasa, from what I've seen. Mm. Yeah, that's one story that stood out the most for me. Yeah,
0: how about you? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I can, I can totally relate with the language barrier, and this, this thing actually happened to me. You know, when I was when I moved to Qatar, and also when I moved back from Qatar. So. It happened to me during the culture shock when I was in Qatar and then the reverse culture shock when I came back from Qatar. This, Yeah, the language barrier thing, I can totally agree with you. It's a bit tough when you've been accustomed to a language for so long and then you have to suddenly switch your ba- brain back to another language. But, I mean, yeah, that's one part. But I think for me, when people talk about culture shock, I immediately remember my experience when i moved to qatar
1: oh what happened
0: um so i think well i was very young when i moved to qatar so i was maybe seven or eight years old when i moved so i didn't really i don't think i remember a lot about it but when i first came to qatar the first impression the first impression that i i get the difference between qatar and indonesia were the people's attitudes oh I mean, in, in general, in terms of service, Indonesians are much friendlier, in my opinion. So it was hard at first to deal with that. But I learned to tolerate that and just be patient over time. And of course, I mean, mm-hmm. but I'm just speaking in terms of what I remember to be. And bear in mind, I was like eight or nine years old or 10. So I was very young. And also, this is just talking about the service in terms of the people there. like My Qatari friends are some of the most generous people I've ever met. They literally just give and give and give. And their hospitality towards others are just it's just something else. Like They're very, very generous. And yeah, of course, the language barrier, as I mentioned before, was a major factor in my culture shock. And a common spoken language there, it wasn't even Arabic because um, it was actually English, because, oh. yeah, because there were many more internationals than the locals themselves. Like, oh. maybe like around 60% or 70% were people from outside.
1: Oh, wow, that's interesting. Because, yeah,
0: because when I came, it was a time when the country was developing the city and, and the environment and the economy. And they didn't really have the manpower to do it. So they, they recruited people from overseas. So as a result... There were a lot of internationals in Qatar, so two two of the main languages were Arabic and English. But since there were a lot of internationals, so I spoke in English mainly. Mm. But at that period, I was eight, and I barely spoke English, so I kind of struggled with communication for the first six months or so, I'd say. And this story was com- comes back to me. I remember when I was during my first few weeks in school. I remember the teacher asking me to throw something in the rubbish bin. But I couldn't even understand that, you know. I couldn't even understand the teacher asking me to throw something in the rubbish bin. And thankfully I had two other Indonesian friends in in my class who are, who've been there for um, a couple of years before me. So thanks to those two friends, they really kind of helped me out with the translations. And they're really patient with me. Because <laughs> I, I really, I could not, I literally was just learning as i went along in school because i you know i i gotta start school you know i can't wait until i master english but i mean side story then i took like intensive english classes for one year after school oh. and i think as i yeah because i think i was um because when you're a child you get things faster i guess so mm-hmm. and given the environment i was in english was very spoken so Yeah, I I kind of, I learned to adapt with that quickly. And anyway, there are a lot of other things that will probably pop in my head when I think hard about it. Mm -hmm. But these two things are the first ones that come to mind. And also keep in mind the fact that I moved, when I moved, I was very young. So I didn't really recall much experience in the society in Indonesia and community. I don't really remember my younger years in Indonesia, in Indonesia, Indonesian Indonesia setting, I guess. Of course, certain norms I can still remember, but I spent most of my teen and adult year, young, years, young adult years abroad, which is the period, I guess, where you grow and you start to develop as a person. That's true. So living in Qatar is like living at home, quote-unquote, to me, and it was the norm to me. So whenever I go back to Indonesia in the summer... Uh, during my school holidays, I would find it difficult to communicate with others, not just strangers. Even my cousins or my aunts and uncles,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's hard for me to catch up with what's happening in Indonesia because I guess you know it's things are always changing. I mean, wherever you are, and there was a bo- there was so there was both a language and a cultural barrier to me. Oh. And Qatar was my home for twelve years and of course i can never i can never be fully qatari because one it's not technically and legally possible mm-hmm. but also at home my parents were throughout the years that i was in qatar at home my parents were still instilling indonesian values values towards my brother and i and we would still speak indonesian in in in, in at home mm-hmm. but yeah i'm just maybe not very exposed to the formal Language and also formal culture is just how my parents, um, you know, treated my brother and I in the Indonesian setting, at home. So, as a result, I'm not fully Qatari or Arab nor Indonesian. I feel mm-hmm. I'm not fully either one. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to completely fit in either society, and i think i struggled with this actually trying to find a place in the midst of both and i think many third culture kids can relate with this and with the idea that reverse culture shock is probably more evident or among us rather than the culture shock and yeah just a note on you know third culture kids if if you haven't heard about it is just basically children who live in a society or a culture that is different than our parents' na- nationality and spent most of their childhood years there. So for me, because I've lived so long in Qatar, hmm. I, I think I'm termed as a somewhat third culture kid. I don't want to self-define myself, but I feel like I, I,
1: I kind of fit into that. Um, Term, but I'm curious though. When you first got there, what I mean, what shocked you the most? Apart from the service and I mean, the language. Like, how how did you adapt? Did you I mean, did you have any difficulties trying to understand what the teachers were saying or your friends were saying? I mean, how how did you adapt to all that? (laughs) It was
0: there is no one step answer for that. It's really basically like I said, you know, learning as you go along because Mm um like your life can't stop just because you don't understand something and you gotta you gotta just go with it and i guess the same for you as well just like you it was time for you to move back to indonesia Mm. and you know you gotta start you gotta start working you gotta start living your life again with your family and Mm -hmm. the people the new people around you in indonesia and you know just because we're shocked doesn't mean i think that's true yeah and going back to your question yeah I, I i experienced a lot of like difficulties in trying to understand what people are, what are saying or what people are doing but i think because i was also very young mm. so and i haven't i wasn't fully developed as a person yet and my personality still changes you know so i think living in qatar is it had a very uh, large impact on the person i am today mm. so I mean, I think it's different to your case because you know you've already had this, you've already had this mindset. You know, I mean, you're already um, adult enough to you know make decisions and everything. I so sure. that's why maybe for you it's kind of hard when you move back. But when I moved to Qatar, uh-huh. the culture shock wasn't that evident, though it it did have an impact, but it didn't last for a long time because I was very young. Right. Oh. Mm. So I guess I guess like the reverse culture shock is actually like you is actually the one that that's kind of impacted me the most cuz I moved to a different culture when you know I'm I was 16 17. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and which one do you see as your home? <laughs> <laughs> or you can't choose because they both have special place in your heart.
0: Um
1: yeah. I
0: I don't think I can choose because they both you both are very dear to my heart, yeah, and very special. And like I said before, I can I don't think I can say I'm fully, of course, national, nationality-wise, I'm Indonesian. Historically and genetically, not genetically, but I mean, what do you call it? <laughs> like, my heritage, yeah, Indone- my <laughs> heritage is Indonesia. <laughs> the genetic, I mean, I'm not a biologist, I don't know about genetics, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah my heritage in Indonesia and everything, but yeah, I I can't really call either one my home because I mean, to this day, I still miss Qatar and I really want to go back there to live there again someday. Mm -hmm. Maybe not permanently, but I just really want to experience life there again because I don't know, I think it's just a nostalgic feeling. I think a lot of people you meet, Mm -hmm. if they've lived in Qatar, they'll say like, oh my God, this country is so boring. You don't want (laughs) to live there. Like, (laughs) because literally there's there's hardly anything mm-hmm. but i don't know but, but now of course it's more there is more things to do there but i mean you know despite the fact that people say that because i just had this nostalgic feeling about qatar yeah like so i can't can really call either one my home True. because they're both really special to me but yeah what about you what do you feel like i mean of course you've you've lived in indonesia for most of your life but you still mm-hmm feel that reverse culture shock. So do you, you see Malaysia as a home?
1: Oh yeah, I, I definitely do. <laughs> I mean, as one of my homes. Speaking of culture shock, something just crossed my mind. I mean, in Indonesia, doesn't matter what race you are, most people, well, most of, of the people I've met, they can speak fluent bahasa, right? Mm. Fluent bahasa, we speak bahasa either we're Chinese or we're Indonesians. We, we all speak bahasa. But in Malaysia, the thing that I found interesting when I first moved there, different races speak different languages. Mm. That's what I found really interesting. And even, let's say you're Chinese, there are many dialects that the Chinese Malaysians speak in many different areas. They, they can speak Cantonese, Hokkien, many other Chinese dialects. And even for, for Malaysian Indians, they speak Tamil or Hindi or Urdu. Mm-hmm. And being of a Chinese descent, when I fir- when I first moved there, my Chinese was only was up was only enough for survival mode i <laughs> you know, can understand what the menu is saying and and somehow along the conversation i i i, I lost what everyone was what everyone was discussing <laughs> a long story short when i first moved there i got this question quite a lot oh you are chinese but you don't speak chinese what kind of chinese are you i mean they don't mean it in a bad way but maybe they yeah, yeah. they don't see much chinese who doesn't speak chinese they don't speak mm-hmm. a lot of Chinese people who don't speak Chinese. I mean, there are there are bananas there, people of a Chinese descent descent who don't grow up speaking Chinese, but they can mm-hmm. understand and they speak a bit. Yeah, so I I I got that a lot. Maybe I'm 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 a banana, yellow on the outside, but <laughs> <on> the outside. <laughs> yeah. and the language barrier to to touch um, well, before I moved to Malaysia, I spoke Bahasa twenty four seven. But I enjoy watching English movies. I I don't know. And one of my hobbies is writing emails. I I know it's weird. <laughs> but long story short, when I first moved there, when I was 18, I couldn't even, you know, like say two to the power of two. You know, the small number on top. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I, in Bahasa, we call it pangkat, right? Mm-hmm. But when I first moved there, I'm like, what's I do I didn't know what the word was, and I just spoke to my lawyer, oh, You know the small number on the top, <laughs> and and luckily my lecturer understood what I was saying. But yeah, that's another story for another time. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I guess because in Malaysia, it's funny that you you, you you point out the multicultural aspect of it. I think you, you got, I think you got um you got that comment because in Malaysia, you know, like you said the Chinese are expected to speak Chinese, Indians speak Indian. In -hmm. Indonesia, it's not actually the norm. Like, people just speak bahasa, right? Every day. Mm. I think, you know, looking back at it, it was funny that when I moved back to Indonesia from Qatar, I think 2017, around that. And yeah, I I, I lived in Indonesia for a brief amount of time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that I, I... uh, got a, such a massive reverse reverse culture shock in terms of how people communicate with, with each other and what they talked about and the environment itself. But when I moved to Malaysia, mm-hmm. I didn't feel so overwhelmed with any culture shock, and I actually kind of liked the environment. And I think I I previously I think I think I think I mentioned that in previous episode about the fact that you know I did I it took me very short to adjust. Ah oh, yeah. What you said just now, I think it's because of the fact that. Malaysia is multicultural, and it's so it's in a way it's from it's a familiar setting to Qatar because you live in different cultures, mm. and it's not just once one, one um, homogeneous culture like in okay Indonesia is not homogeneously cultured, but I mean there are a lot of subcultures as well in Indonesia. But I guess in terms of uh, country wise and globally, there are more variations in Malaysia and Qatar, mm. but in Indonesia you don't have that.
1: Yeah, we're not ethnically as diverse as Malaysia. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that, I guess from this we can
0: say that whether you whether or not you experience extensive culture shock is also affected by our preferences and our ideal environment, like our, the idea of our ideal environment. I guess mm. I, for example, like I didn't feel any culture shock when I moved to Malaysia because you know that's. I guess that's because it's my ideal environment.
1: I guess, yeah, could be. And you will grow accustomed. I mean, to live to live in a such diverse environment. Mm, yeah. Exactly. But what 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 happened when you moved back to Indonesia? Can you tell us more on the reverse culture shock and your experience? <laughs> <laughs> um. To be honest. There's no. Um.
0: I can't really put it in a story to be honest because it's just. It just feels different
1: mm.
0: from the language from the way people treat each other and from what they talk about i guess from i guess from this perspective of what they talk about is a big uh, thing for me because i don't know the thing they talk about in indonesia society especially in our, the people our age i don't know it's just yeah i i, I just can't relate i guess Mm. Not saying that, you know, one is better than the other, but it's just in terms of preference, I guess, you know, what I usually talk about with my friends in Qatar or or in Malaysia, it's kind of different to the things that are brought up in Indonesia. So I think that was one
1: big thing for me, This uh, aside from the language barrier. I can totally relate with what Nadir just said with... What people were talking about what people are talking about, and the things that they're talking about. Yeah, there was this one instance when everyone, no, oh, not everyone, but the people around me. Oh, you know what? What this influencer is doing, this and that. I'm just like, who, who are these people? And I can't, I can't relate with what they were saying. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. I mean, I think as you know, we're brought up in a different environment, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, I mean. Can you tell me, like, one what one thing that you did, you know, to overcome that reverse culture shock when you went back? <laughs>
1: I think the first one, and I think this is the most important one, is to keep in touch with friends that you have met abroad because because I don't know when I look back, the first few weeks were the toughest for me because I really I miss my friends a lot.
0: Mm, That's so true. I really like
1: Indonesian friends, and I was so looking forward to our Skype sessions, to our mini meetups. Yeah, because they were, I mean, they were the closest thing that I have. They were the closest thing that I had that I can call home. Mm -hmm, True. And I remember when I first came back, I mean, I was not expecting the reverse culture shock to be quite bad. But I mean, staying in touch with them helped me to keep, I mean, helped me to stay sane. Yeah, during those periods, because it can be a very lonely period.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can relate to that so much. Yeah, it's really good to you know have a piece of wherever you may have came come from, with mm, you always. Very important to stay in touch. Yeah, Being a piece. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I I think I need to learn from you <laughs> as well. So, because you are you recently experience this right like this reverse culture shock so I'm guessing maybe you've read that some tips on on how to tackle reverse culture shock maybe so the first one like earlier to
1: stay in touch mm-hmm. and to remember that you really need to put effort in the friendships that you want to keep I think because mm-hmm. you can't possibly have a Skype date every I mean every day with everyone, right? It'll drain you yeah. up zoom fatigue. <laughs> I think, yeah I think you have to be mindful with the friendships that you want to keep. Mm. and the circles that you want to keep and the second one to be patient with yourself and with the people around you because not everyone would be excited to hear your traveling stories (laughs) or living abroad and that's okay especially if they've never lived abroad or they don't travel as much Mm. and yeah and that's that's okay because they they can't really see our point of view and I mean there 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 would be times that you are excited you you want to tell people oh this is what I experienced when I traveled to this country and I lost my wallet and la 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 no 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 it didn't happen guys but <laughs> <laughs> but I think you need to be patient especially with yourself because you came back home you are a changed person yeah you are changed your home has changed and it will really take I mean it takes time to adapt back to everything as cliché as it sounds yeah and just remember that you are not the same person as you were a few years back when you left your home country or maybe in that case, you are not the same person from 12 years ago yeah. <laughs> And to really move on with your life as hard as it sounds, I know. I mean I mean yeah I mean of, of course there will be days where we miss our friends. And when you look at old pictures, you felt nostalgic and you felt sad, and the cycle continues. But you know, misery loves company, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you really, you gotta really move on with your life, like looking forward to say a new job or maybe going back to school will help you to alleviate the feeling. Oh, I don't belong here. Or I don't belong anywhere. But I'm not saying this that you do not for you to not be grateful with what you have, but to really take it one step at a time, because, because it's really is a journey and I think the thing that I learned is to stay adventurous <laughs> I mean, well maybe this is only applicable when a corona is over okay <laughs> <laughs> yes hashtag. <laughs> hashtag when corona is over <laughs> and 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 because traveling and living abroad have given you a shift in perspective in seeing mm. your home country seeing your hometowns or yeah, and perhaps you can explore your hometown. You don't have to explore mm-hmm. a far, far, foreign, far away land. You can just yeah. explore your hometown and maybe oh. hang out in a mall in hang out in a place in places that you don't normally hang out mm. or go to places that you don't normally go. Or maybe it's food that you don't normally eat. Mm. Yeah. And mini sorry and mini confession. I've lived in Jakarta my whole life. But this year <laughs> i'm so ashamed of this this year was my first ever time stepping my feet inside glora bungkarno i'm not joking what and it was because my friend it was because my friends jervon and shenny asked me to go there i'm like what's what's to see then i'm like oh this is actually very cool yeah i'm ashamed to admit that yeah and i first went to to monas when i was what 17, 16. Yes, <laughs> <Guess> what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but maybe this is only applicable when corona is over. Okay, guys? Yeah. I mean <laughs> just,
0: yeah, I mean just a backstory. Bung Karno is a stadium in Jakarta. And Monas is also a very, very famous monument in Jakarta. So for just who has not been <laughs> living who has been living in Jakarta for a long time, it's a big deal
1: for her not to be not not having been to these place as well i mean i passed that place every day to, on, on the way to work but i'm like oh okay <laughs> even me who's been living uh, outside jakarta in 12 years i've been there for a
0: couple of times i'm so ashamed <laughs> <laughs> no but i think i think you went you went to Gola Karno in a good time because they just recently renovated it mm, maybe. before the asian game, Yeah, before the asian games yeah, because before that, I remember, no, you're right, like, what's there to see because there's nothing else to see. Like, it's really it's really just, you know, a place where you just run or uh, people have football matches and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah interesting to know. Just thanks for enlightening that fact.
1: <laughs> I'm so ashamed. But yeah, those are my fair share of tips.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you, though. But I really like your last tip on staying adventurous I think I, I think I should apply that hashtag when corona is over but because <laughs> because sometimes when you're just shocked like culture shock or even any type of other shocks like you know moving to a new place or having a new job or everything it's very easy to get lost in your head sometimes mm. and I think seeing the outside world is very important to you know refresh your mind and just Get out of your own head and see, you know, there is a nice, new, exciting life in front of you. Yeah, mm-hmm. out there, you know.
1: So you just gotta, yeah, they take the big step out and just go on with it. Oh, and I have a last tip, but I don't know whether, I don't think it's applicable to everyone. Mm-hmm. I When I first came back, I was I, I went to this church, well, most of the congregations are Malaysians. Mm. And every time I go there, I felt like oh I'm home because they're Malaysian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean that's that story for another time. But yep,
0: that th- that thought still haunts you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And every time I heard like when when I mean, every time I I I heard someone speaking in English with with the Malaysian accent, I'm like, are you from Malaysia? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I mean I wanted to like go up to them and are you from Malaysia, but I think they will be creeped out. Like, thank you, Jess, for sharing.
0: These tips, I'm pretty sure will be applicable to me when I go back to Indonesia in a month's time, hopefully. I think I think this is why I wanted to talk about this um, topic as well. you know, just get it inside my head that you know it's okay. Hmm. It's okay. I can I'll, I've experienced this before and uh, and you know it's just something that we have to go through, you know, especially when you've made the choice to maybe study abroad or work abroad, eventually you will have to come back home
1: at a certain point in your life so we just gotta be prepared for this Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna lie it's I mean for me it was pretty hard it's Mm. hard it's hard (laughs) but really just be patient with yourself I think that's the uh, my what I will suggest everyone to do the most (sighs) it's been really good talking just session about this
0: topic and yeah I think that's all I have to say
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so I think we can end it here and thank you so much yes for sharing your story and also the tips that you can give us and we really hope that what we've talked about today adds on to your knowledge about what culture shock and reverse culture shock is and to those of you who might be ex- experiencing this kind of thing but don't know what it is we hope that now it's a bit clearer to you
1: mm-hmm. about
0: why you're feeling this sort of uneasiness when you move back to to your home country or when you move to a new country mm-hmm. and yeah thank you so much for sticking with jess and i thank you so much guys yep and we look forward to hearing from you too as well so see you in our next episode Bye-bye. bye bye